Hello and welcome to Sea Cruise Talks. Today, we're taking a trip back to Sea Trade Cruise Virtual at the beginning of October 2020 and tuning in to Expedition and Small Ship Cruising, a view from the bridge. Our Expedition Ambassador, Liz Gammon, leads a discussion with Alana Bradley-Swan, the Director of Product for Adventure Canada, Emilio Freeman, Sea Dream Yacht Club's Vice President, Itineraries and Destinations, Hans Lagave, the president of Albatross Expeditions, and Robin West, Seabourn Cruise Line's Vice President Expedition Operations. All four of our panelists have faced challenges due to COVID-19 in what should have been a year of incredible growth for expedition and small ship cruising. In October, when our panel met, The situation was still very uncertain, with regulations changing on a daily basis. But there were bright spots to be found, with innovation and creativity blossoming. Let's jump into the conversation with Liz asking some of the big questions for the session and inviting the panel to explain how COVID-19 impacted their operations back in March. How has COVID-19 affected expedition and small ship cruising to date? Can we expect to see a downturn in growth for expedition and small ship cruising? Has COVID-19 inadvertently provided opportunities for small vessels and ports? And during this pause in travel, has passenger interest continued to grow, causing an upturn just around the corner? And so this is where we're going to to kick off and to, to bring our session around. So if we say, um, we'll start with our first one there, and how has COVID-19 affected expedition and small ship cruising to date? Well, I guess we'll start with you, Alana, because you were one of the first, of course, to basically pull the plug on it for this season, am I correct? Right, yes. So at Adventure Canada, we did cancel our season pretty early on. It was primarily due to the Canadian government taking a pretty firm stance on Arctic cruising. Back in March, they did close our Arctic shipping in general for the entire season. So that was pretty simple decision for us on our end that we needed to close due to the regulations. And it obviously had a ripple effect with the rest of our season. Uh, We sail in other destinations as well, but it impacted us completely. And we made the choice to make the most responsible and safest choice possible. And that would be to regroup and look forward to the 2021 season instead. Yes, it's been a tough one from all sides. And we're talking about COVID-19 affecting expedition and small ship cruising to date. If I sort of go back in time, not that I really want to, but it's been pretty horrendous. But if we flip back to earlier this year, which was around about February, March, basically, when things really kicked off, which point the Antarctic season was kind of coming to a close, was it not? You guys were obviously in operations down there at this time. How did this go? We got exceptionally lucky at the end of the season. We finished up in Buenos Aires. In fact, we kind of bounced between Buenos Aires and Uruguay for one or two days and then eventually managed to disembark our guests at the very end of the season and finish off the season And pretty much the Quest then sailed north into the Med, and we haven't really operated since. But 
It was just pure luck in terms of our timing. We pretty much got our gas off. And I think after that, it became very difficult for some of the other ships literally two or three days later to try and do the same thing as the situation was progressing very quickly. I was watching it all unfold on Vestal Tracker, to be honest. That was my first thought. I think most of us who were involved in cruise and shipping immediately thought of where the season was really at its peak. And that was, of course, down south. So I could see all those ships sort of nipping around and trying to find a place to get in. It was interesting and horrifying watching it at the same time. Hans, if we come back to you, where were your ships at this point in, in early March and, and how was it going for you guys down there at Albatross? You were in the Antarctic. How did operations get affected for you? A lot of sleepless nights, I, I can tell you. We were around South Georgia, just returning to the Argentinian mainland and there was so much uncertainty. We were heading for Ushuaia, Punta Arenas as a backup and then we got advice not to do so and go for Buenos Aires. And in the end, we also disembarked in Montevideo, Uruguay, and we still so grateful for the government and the people of Uruguay because they supported us and they supported ship operations. While they usually don't have a lot of benefits from our industry because there's not many departures from Montevideo. So if there's one thing I can do here is a shout out to Uruguay. Thank you very much. That is a big point, you know, that we've all heard the horror stories and yet there have been many, many good stories and, you know, people banding together, you know, contacts being shared, people sort of helping each other out. And and that's what we've needed, not just in the March time. Emilio, Sea Dream, goodness me. What were you guys doing in March when this was all happening with, with, with Down South? You were making your decisions there. What was going on? In March, we were continuing to try to continue our operations with our guests we still had a number of guests that wanted to sail with us on both vessels. We found it more difficult to continue that operation in San Juan. But as we got down to the lower Caribbean with Barbados, we kept going until right around March 20th. And that's when we just said, we're going to put a halt to it and we're going to stop. And we did. We took a pause for 30 days, I think, initially. And to be honest, we, we thought, okay, sometime in the summer. We looked at a variety of different ways where we could resume operations. And in the end, our owner took the bold step of taking one of our vessels and sending it to Norway and starting operations in Norway along the Norwegian coast. And, you know, you talked about the effects of COVID and everything that's happening. I think that overall for us, and I don't know about my colleagues here, everything is very, very close in now. Everything, when you look at the horizon, normally when I look at a horizon in a destination or in deployment, it's two to three years that you're looking at, uh, at where you're going to send your ships. And for us at Sea Dream, it was two months tops. Even now, we are looking at or we will be launching a series of voyages out of Barbados. And we've done that in the span of about six to seven weeks. With Norway, we did the same thing. And it was even more complex with Norway because we were only selling directly to Norwegians. So we created a whole separate website. We went out and marketed it all in the span of about seven weeks. So normally when you talk about designing and developing a destination, you're talking two to three years. Here we are talking about one to two months. So for us, and I think for many people out there that are working in this industry, the horizon is a lot narrower and in some degrees a lot more uncertain. If I were to tell you all the hurdles that we had to go through to, to develop our program, 
I tell you that we probably wouldn't have operated. Even today, we're still working with the governments of Barbados, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and Grenada in trying to figure out how our vessels will be allowed in there. We believe strongly that we're going to work everything out when we start our first voyage, which will be November 7th of this year. We expect to have all of those things accomplished. It's been tough. It's been hard. Don't give up. Keep pushing. And you've kept things moving. That's a hugely important thing. You see, because I'm based in Iceland, so as we were watching what was unfolding in Antarctica, I'm sure Alana was like me there. Perhaps you're more involved, of course, Alana, because of your connections with IECO and IATO and, and, and so forth. But for me as a bystander, really, watching it all unfold, I was sort of wondering, how is this going to affect our season? Will we even see a season? So it's quite interesting to hear from all sides, where everybody was at this moment in time. It's probably going to be one of those, like, where were you when Elvis died? Where were you with your ships when this all, all happened? So has this resulted in a downturn in growth for expedition and, and small ship cruising? Robin, if I can ask you that. Short term, definitely a bit of a downturn. But, I, I, you know, I think the industry is resilient. And I think in the long run, we will see the kind of growth that many of us were expecting this year. Maybe that doesn't come in 2022 or 2023. It might be a slow growth recovery, but I definitely think it will be there. A delay, really, isn't it? So, so yeah. it's having a knock-on effect on so many aspects of, of small ships and, and expeditions and, and shipbuilding, as we were talking about previously. You've got, you could have found yourself in an interesting situation there, Robin. Tell us about this with your new builds. Yes, yeah, so we have two new builds. Initially, they were going to be one year apart. Obviously, they're being built in Italy. And, uh, you know, in March, April, May, Italy was severely affected by COVID. And uh, large parts of Italy was put into severe lockdown. And so, obviously, we anticipated a, a delay on our new ship, Seaborne Venture. We do have a delay on Seaborne Venture from kind of initially June 2021 to December 21. So about a six-month delay. In the early days when we were still uncertain about, you know, a new delivery date for Seaborne Venture, there was also, of course, a lot of uncertainty because another big problem globally when this started was supply chain. And so a number of our vendors and suppliers were sending us messages and letting us know that there were issues in terms of supplying items for the second ship. So obviously we had everything for the first vessel and the building side was slowly delayed. But then, of course, with the second vessel at that time, supply chain was disrupted. However, the good news on one hand is that now the second ship is going to be delivered on schedule. And the not so maybe good news is the fact that we now have two ships coming out in six months. Obviously, it's fantastic. It's great. What's really exciting, of course, during this time period is to still have this forward momentum and this optimism. It obviously changes your planning significantly. I never knew it was going to be this hard and require so much work not to cruise. It's taking a, a lot of time not to actually operate at the moment, but obviously we're still trying to remain very positive and we're excited for our two new expedition ships when they do arrive. I have to go to you, Hans, there with your background behind you today and tell us about you, you going ahead. You've got lots of new builds on the horizon there too. Absolutely. And if I look to next year, actually the bookings look excellent and that has to do that I think clients in our area, they, they, they are almost addicted to these experiences. So we had a rebooking rate of about 80% of cancellations. Now, my only fear is, is if 
discontinuous, which we don't think with vaccines on, on around the corner. But if you have to cancel an experience for the second time, what will they do then? Alana, we were, again, having a, a brief chat yesterday with regards to whether it's a plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. I mean, we, we go through the alphabet, really, with how many plans everybody's going to have on standby. But I was really interested to hear how you've kind of moulded your itinerary slightly. You're not just focusing on Northern Canada. You're coming down south slightly, aren't you? Spain, and tell us about that. Yeah, it wasn't really a result of COVID per se. We're a pretty small company and knew that quite a few years ago, we made the strategic plan to diversify, not just be a polar expert. So next year, we're in Spain, in the Basque Country. We head over to Bordeaux and then the Brittany Islands in France. Then we head up to Scotland, the Faroe Islands, Iceland, and then make our way into Greenland and and the Canadian Arctic, which is our signature experiences. And predominantly our travelers are Canadian and they want to go see the Arctic. We also have an offering for our travelers because about 70% of our travelers are repeat and they are excited to travel wherever we essentially go. We have a certain style on board and a certain brand presence that attracts a certain type of traveler. So if we're going to the Basque Country, we get quite a a number of people just coming with us because, oh, it's an interesting destination, but it's not necessarily on their bucket list per se. We took that strategy a number of years ago, actually when the 2007 and 2008 financial crash happened. That's when we kind of regrouped and said, okay, what are we going to do? We're taking longer charter days, first of all. So we have a shoulder season that we have to fulfill. And we made a strategic choice to sort of stay out of Svalbard area because we knew that we needed to come as far west as Canada. And it's been pretty successful. So we're lucky that we have that in our lineup. And it's been really interesting working with all of the different government officials in all the different regions and then also the regional organizations or uh, Arctic organizations such as IACO understanding how to group together as an industry to diversify and to work better within whatever the region is that we come together as an industry and make sure that we're acting responsibly wherever we sail. That was another point that I I was uh, actually really interested in because we're talking about expedition, wildlife, communities that are way off grid and COVID-19 and how it affected operations and of course you know you have all your rules and regs with regards to wildlife. Back to you again Robin with regards to the distances we're all having to stay at least in Iceland at the moment two meters apart. How do we do this with wildlife now? What, what, what are the regulations there? Most of the guidelines in terms of Proximity to wildlife is far more than what we would require ourselves in terms of social distancing, one or two meters. Those are more kind of like five meters and more to some extent, depending on the area you're operating in the wildlife you're viewing. So if those distances are successfully maintained, there shouldn't be any problems at all. I know we spoke a little bit about this and what tends to happen in some of these, these areas is You have different types of wildlife encounters. Of course, down in Antarctica, if you stay still and wildlife approaches you, penguins, a seal pup or something like that, that interaction can generally be governed by the individual as long as they move and that wildlife can come closer. 
However, that is going to have to change. That is one aspect, I think, in terms of our operations, either north or south, predominantly probably more south in terms of penguins and things like that, where if wildlife approaches you out of curiosity, you are in fact going to have to actively move away from that wildlife to protect them and obviously to maintain that kind of distance. So outside of that, there probably won't need to be any other major changes in terms of guidelines with regards to viewing wildlife and distances. Inuit communities, how are operations going to be affected with all of that? I know that you guys go ashore occasionally. I can't even pronounce this, the Melik Cafe thing, where you meet these communities and, and have the drum dancing. Will that change? Very likely, although, of course, we have to see that next year, these kind of operations are mainly in Greenland and uh, North Canada. And usually the season is end of July and August. And let's see where the world then is with vaccines, etc that you can probably still visit the bigger cities, well, cities behind brackets in, in Greenland, uh, like in Ilulisat, but with guidelines like social distancing and probably also means that uh, there will be um, hardly any interaction with, uh, with, with the locals, which is one of the highlights. And I'm hearing that leopards, what are these leopard seals? They're not very nice either. I was reading about that. Le le leopard seals as well. Yeah. Oh. And then there's big smelly ones, the walrus, no, the, um, yeah, okay, well, you guys, let's see you back. <laughs> Alana, please tell us about your plans for this Yeah, thing. it is true. Inuit communities in Greenland or Canada or in other regions around the world have the tendency to be more vulnerable. They don't have as great access to medical care in Canada, for instance. Housing conditions are also at a different standard, so... In Canada, we, or at least in our company, we are very actively looking at different itineraries that would not include communities for the 2021 season. Although, if the community and the world has changed by then and the community was welcoming and actually wanting to invite cruise tourists into the community, we would need to really have that dialogue with the community, with the government officials, with the health officials to make the best plan. And right now in IACO, we have just started our back to cruise committee for Canada just in the past couple of weeks. And we'll be working with the Canadian government and some local stakeholders in Canada, as well as committee itself at IACO to essentially write out the guidelines in preparation for a visit to a community or a transfer through in an airport. We'll need to have turnaround days when we're in Canada. We'll need to look at a designated spot that that can be. And we'll need to choose the safest one that will allow our passengers to go in and out of those communities Unfortunately, as Hans was saying, it probably will be quite restricted in the 2021 season. Even if there is a vaccine, we don't know how quickly that will be administered and distributed worldwide. So we'll just need to take extra precautions at making sure that our passengers and crew and staff are safe on board, as well as everybody in the community. So there's no need to rush it. I think that we work in an industry that is extremely creative and we know how to think on our feet and we're really good problem solvers. 
I think that the 2021 season is totally doable and it will involve some interaction with Inuit communities, but it will have to be in a different way than what we normally anticipate or think of. You know, it's interesting. I hear a common thread on a lot of what's being discussed. And for us, when we looked at what we were going to do, it was really three elements, three elements that were key to our decision making. One, we wanted to find places where we were welcome, where the local community, the local government were saying, yes, we want you to come. We want to work with you to make this happen. Two, that it was pretty much off the beaten path. We didn't want to go to tried and true big cruise destinations and places that a lot of our big brothers and sisters in the industry go to. And three, that they had already opened for business, whether it was for their domestic indigenous population to go traveling or for inbound tourism to come to their country. So those three in Barbados and what we're doing in the lower Caribbean, we have those three elements in the three countries that we're working with right now. It's not easy. We're not done yet. And you mentioned about plan B and C and D, and we do have a plan B and we do have a plan C and D if things don't work out the way we want. It's a very, very fluid situation that we're working in right now. Okay, people still want to travel, no signs of passenger interest waning. It's basically, how do you see this working? You, you've got a lot of interest, you were saying, about your plans. Even though there's no expedition cruise as such going on up there, but you've got interest in the Arctic from your customer base already, just to just go and see it. Even though you may be not able to cruise at the moment, they just want to go and see it anyway. Tell us about that. You've got a hotel or something you were saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah correct. We, we also own several accommodations and activity centers, excursion centers in Greenland. It also came as a complete surprise to me, but this month we expect to sell more hotel beds than last year. For me, that's a very positive sign that if people can travel, and uh, they are very keen for these experiences. And also, and, and this is just my assumption, the Arctic, it's remote. It feels safe if you go with a, with, with a good company. It, it's away from mass tourism. It's away from big crowds. It is just exploring pure nature. And we see this trend in bookings for hotels in, and accommodations in Greenland. And um, we expect the same for expedition cruising once uh, borders are open and, and once we can safely uh, return to operations. So even though you guys are kind of having to plan really with the short term, you know, go, go, go. Amelia, got to go to Barbados or, or whatever, you know, we're going to turn the ship around and go. Am I correct? If I speak to all of you here, you're all showing great bookings for the future. I mean, come on, that's amazing. That really is, considering where the world is today at this moment in time, as you were saying, no vaccine. The passenger can't wait to get out there and travel, and bookings are strong. Ships are still being built. There's a delay in so many things. But that's an enormously positive message, isn't it? I believe that there is a lot of frustration of people just staying at home, looking at four walls and not being able to get out. And when you see an opportunity a cruise operator, an expedition company are opening up. And with us, I think overall, when you talk about smaller ships, we will definitely, in my opinion, definitely see a lot of positive growth in the medium to long term. Yes, Antarctica and the Arctic region, there are certain potential capacity constraints, but this is a bad joke, but with the positive effects of global warming, 
there are destinations further north and destinations a little bit further south that could offer that type of expeditionary experience, particularly in northern Canada, in my opinion. You think about the Sea of Volkosk, you think about northeast as well as northwest passages. Those all are, in my mind, opportunities for smaller cruise ships and expedition ships where they will feel a lot more safer on our type of vessels than they might feel on a bigger ship. And I think that's part of the reason why the bigger ships are trying to take a longer time to figure out how they're going to be able to deliver a safe, healthy environment for their guests without creating long lines and delays in processing 2,000 to 6,000 people in a given period of time. With us, there is a lot more opportunity to deliver and take guests to regions that are a little bit more off the beaten path. With us, when I think about the Grenadines, that's a little more warm water, it's more yachting. But when I think as well on expedition and going to places where penguins and polar bears lie, there is a lot more opportunity there than in the mainstream arena. So for us, in the last two weeks, by far the number one source market with new bookings was Australia. You know, borders completely closed at this moment. And of course, these bookings are for November next year and later. It shows to me, maybe maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not correct, but the customers are almost frustrated by these closed borders and now want to secure a place for the future. If I was to sort of see it now and... It looks so positive. I mean, you guys are all so positive. The message that I've received here is one of positivity. It's one of the need for flexibility on the ground, rules, regulations. You all chaffing at the bit. You want to get going. New bills are still going on. The All right, Emilio's there. He's heading down to Barbados. And personally, I think you'll all agree. We should all be going with him, really, shouldn't we? While we're all on, on hold here and waiting. If you've got one short thing to bring forward to our audience, and I I think who's going to be listening to us, ports, tour operators, what is the message that you would bring in with regards to the season of 2021 in something positive? Come on, Robin, I'm going to put you in the hot seat to start with. In terms of positivity, it's what we touched on earlier. I think we all know, and we see it in our bookings, we have guests dying to leave their home. They're wanting to go travel. They're wanting to experience the world. And we just have to wait. As soon as the science allows us to make good decisions, we will be back without a doubt. I think the demand and the desire to want to travel is going to be even greater as soon as we are physically able to do so. Hans, Come on, what have you got for us? Your message of positivity for us as we sign out here. I think I've shot all my positivism already, but I've got a very important request. It's about ports and tourism organizations and governments. We have all developed our protocols, AECO, IATO. So in some points, we are ready to go. So if you talk about our customers, they want to go, but there's fears. And interestingly enough, there's fears of catching the virus while traveling. But the biggest fear that customers have at the moment is being stuck, being stuck in a country, but also being stuck on a ship. What we can't have, what we really can't have anymore is that ships are being sent away and float around on on the ocean waiting for a port that is nice enough to accept them, like what happened with Ecuador. So we need that support. And even 
if something happens, despite all protocols and testing and, and everything we can do to, to, to manage health and safety, even if something happens, if there's an outbreak or if there's a sick passenger on board, we need shore support. We cannot be sent away. In my opinion, there's really two things that I would just end with, and that is one for our partners, tour operators, port agencies, tourism boards, port authorities, et cetera, that we deal with on a regular basis, that there is a preparation on their side. I mentioned this, and it's probably the third time I'll say this, that the window is very narrow. And when you are given a green light, you need to act quickly and you need to be prepared because we're coming and we'll be coming back. Number one. Number two, there has to be that degree of trust between us and what we do on board with our protocols and the way that we do business. We are as transparent as we can be. And we've learned as an industry that if you're not going to be fully transparent, you're going to lose that degree of trust. So I think we've learned from that on our side, from the land-based side, there's got to be that degree of trust that when we come, we've got it buttoned up and we've got the right approach to doing business. You know, we talked about this runway being a lot longer than we want it to be. A lot of that has to do with infrastructure and being able to have open borders and airlines opening up to get people from their home to the embarkation port. Those people want to go. I think we've all kind of said that in our own way. And when that opens up, it's going to happen quickly. So be prepared and trust that mutual trust that we have will be the successful formula for all of us in the days, months, and years to come. Alana. Yeah, no, the last comment, it's, it, it fits in well with yours, Emilio, is with trust, what's required is really, really good communication and collaboration. And what I've really noticed over the past six or seven months sitting on the executive committee for IACO or in other type of industry meetings or speaking with passengers is that we now have this great opportunity to communicate with each other. We're often in the hustle bustle of, oh my gosh, there's a season in Antarctica and the Arctic one starting in, you know, three months time and we're all scrambling, et cetera. And we may see each other from time to time at an IATO meeting or an IACO meeting and you know, one or two times throughout the year from different companies. But this time has really allowed us to come together, at least the members of IACO and IATO to come together and actually brainstorm and have a bit of relief saying like, oh my goodness, what are we gonna do? how can we work together to make this better and how can we act more responsibly as an industry? So I've been extremely grateful for having that opportunity to sort of sit back, not necessarily working less, but just sit back and, and have that connection with my fellow colleagues, because I know that it's only going to make our industry stronger than it has ever been once we're back on the water. So it's, it's important for us to continue to look towards our overarching organizations, whether it's IACO or IATO, to steer us because we have this opportunity to come together and I think we're doing a great job. What a positive message. Despite the difficulty travel and tourism was facing in October, Expedition Cruises was still receiving bookings. 
There was so much flexibility and adaptability being shown in this discussion, and that is what will make the future of small ship and expedition cruising strong. Thanks for joining us for Expedition and Small Ship Cruising, A View from the Bridge. And thank you to our wonderful panel for being part of Sea Trade Cruise Virtual and Sea Trade Cruise Talks. Tune in on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for more great content from Sea Trade Cruise Virtual that you might have missed. And for original Sea Trade Cruise Talks sessions. If you are listening to this when it airs, then we will be taking a break for a few weeks over the Christmas period. So from the whole team, stay safe, happy holidays, and we look forward to bringing you more great content in the new year.